Ruth chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Marlon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Eli Melech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Marlon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and without her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness, as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud, and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye But Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realised that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law. Arriving in Bethlehem, as the barley harvest was beginning. I'm sure there's a few other guys here this morning who are probably like this, but I like to think of myself as being a bit of a handyman. 
Uh, our last house, I managed to do a few of the building projects there, put a new deck onto the house, built some garden beds, even replaced some walls inside the house. If there was a job to be done, well, I was normally happy to have a crack at it. It must be said that uh, my confidence was somewhat disproportionate to my ability. Uh, that's pretty clear. You only need to have a look at the work that I've done to recognise that. But I say this because the guy that we meet in the beginning of this book of Ruth seems like a bit of a DIY kind of guy as well. His name is Elimelech. We meet him in the opening verses. Uh, he's faced with a problem and he adopts a kind of a DIY approach. Unfortunately, he is placing his family into a very difficult situation, a situation that is going to be out of their depth. Now, we're going to be looking at Ruth uh, over the month of January, and it's a a wonderful piece of literature. Uh, It's a play in four acts. The four chapters that we have give us little snippets, little excerpts in the life of these people. It's a beautifully told story and a beautiful story as well. But Ruth is one of those books in the Bible when when you read it, you kind of think to yourself, why is this book here? I mean, as nice as it is, why is this book in the Bible? It seems to be about some very ordinary people and very ordinary things happening in their lives. A friend of mine said that the subtitle for this book should be Ruth, Two Widows Trying to Make Ends Meet During a Recession. And it kind of seems just that ordinary. It's just ordinary people and the ordinary events in their lives. But as the story unfolds, we recognise that this is a story about kindness. If you had to pick the word that sums up what this book is about, then kindness would be it. But above all, it's a story about redemption, about God being the one who ultimately saves. And underlying this whole idea of redemption is that it's God's kindness, God's plan for his people. Now, we're given a very clear setting right there in the very opening verse, tells us exactly where and when this book is set. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land that a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. These events took place in the time of the judges and that's where we need to know how we've got to that point. So let me just quickly run you through the books of the Bible that we've covered before we get to the book of Ruth. So it starts with Genesis and particularly the promises that God makes to Abraham, promises about people and land and blessing. But by the end of Genesis, uh, they're they're not living in the land that God had promised to give them, they're living in Egypt. So from Exodus, we see the escape. We see them make their way out of Egypt and to the land that God had promised to give them. And the book of Exodus brings us right to the very edge of the promised land. But unfortunately, the people refuse to go into the land. They decide that it's not the place where they want to be, that the people there are too big, even though the land is everything that God had promised them. Eventually, under the leadership of Joshua, they do, after wandering for 40 years in the desert, they do finally enter into the land. But the book of Judges is the book that follows on after that. And while you would hope that everything was going to work out brilliantly for them now that they're living in the land that God had promised to give them, the book of Judges gives us a downward spiral. Uh, 
every chapter of the book of Judges just gets darker and darker than the chapter before. And the people seem to be hell-bent on turning away from God. In fact, there's, a, there's an expression that comes up a number of times, four times in the book of Judges. It says, in those days there was no king, everyone did as he saw fit. Now, that's not just an observation, that's a damning criticism of what's going on in the land. They have no king, they have no godly leadership, and everyone's doing whatever they want to do. It's every man for himself, it's a free-for-all. It's as though the whole nation has lost its moral compass. What they desperately need is a godly king to lead them. And the book of Ruth is set at that time. Now, the next thing that you notice when you read Ruth is that second verse. I'm not sure if you kind of heard it when uh, Jeff was reading it, but we get bombarded with a whole bunch of names, names that we've never heard before. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the the two sons were Marlon and Killian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah, and they went to Moab and they lived there. One of the things with names in the Old Testament is that they actually meant something. So when you said a person's name, it wasn't just like a name that we would hear, it would actually express something, it would say something. So let me give you the translation of each of these. You'll see it down the bottom of the page if you wanted to look at it. But here's the translation of those names. Here's what, here's what the average Hebrew person would have heard when they heard this passage read out. The man's name was, my God is King. His wife's name was Pleasant. And the names of the two sons were Sickly and Failing. They were from the Fruitfulness tribe, from the house of bread, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now, do you see the irony with all these names? Elimelech, my God is king. Well, this is from a point in in Israel's history when they were just so determined to run away from God, they wanted nothing to do with God. It was every man for himself. They were from the tribe of of the the Ephraimites, which was about fruitfulness, but there's anything but fruitfulness happening at the moment. They lived in Bethlehem, the house of bread, but there's a famine in the land. There is no bread in the house. There is no fruitfulness here. And the names Marlon and Killian, sickly and failing, well, they will be living up to their names very shortly. We're told in the opening verses that they moved to Moab because the famine in Israel was so severe and Elimelech thought that this was the best, if not the only option for his family to get out of Israel. But that's a big decision to be making at that time, to to move in to the country of your enemies, people who've been removed from the land. No sooner do they arrive in Moab than Elimelech dies, the first in a series of tragic events for this family. Naomi's two sons both marry Moabite women, something that the Bible would have said wasn't advisable, not good to marry, intermarry with the nations around them because it tends to bring their gods into your nation as well. But that's what the two boys do. They continue to live there for another 10 years, but then comes the next tragedy, both of the sons die. And not only do they die, but they die without any children. They've been married for 10 years and neither of them has children. Finally, they moved 
the, the family had moved to Moab because that was seen to be the only hope, but things are now looking more hopeless than ever for them. Naomi is getting on in years and living in a foreign country with no family apart from her two Moabite daughters-in-law who have their own family there in Moab. Life for a widow back in those days was not easy. No Centrelink, no pensions, no superannuation, no Medicare. They would have to fend for themselves. So what will she do? Well, verse 6 tells us that a glimmer of hope comes when she hears in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. She's moving back to Bethlehem. She tells her Moabite daughters that they need to stay, that she's going back to Bethlehem alone. She says they'll have a better chance of finding a husband in Moab than they will in Israel. But Ruth insists on going with her and look at what she says they are incredible words here in verse 16 and I want you to notice see in verse 17 see how it's that Lord with all capitals L-O-R-D that's the Yahweh word we're talking about Israel's God verse 16 but Ruth replied do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from you where you go I will go and where you stay I will stay Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. Ruth stands to gain nothing from going to Bethlehem. In fact, she probably stands to lose everything by going there. This remarkable act of kindness towards her mother-in-law. So they make their way back to Bethlehem. But this is coming home the hard way. The family moving to Moab would not have been seen as a, a positive thing. I'm sure you've seen people who've done that, who've had to move home the hard way. You may even be able to think of those names now. We had friends who moved away because... The business opportunity looked fantastic and the new lifestyle change was going to be just what they needed. But everything goes wrong. First, there's the car accident and then the business doesn't quite work out the way that they had hoped and they have to sell their house to cover their debts and they return home to live with the in-laws, shattered by the experience. They return home to face the embarrassment of their failure They left with money and great hope for their future, but they return home broke and broken. Well, that seems to be the case for Naomi in this story as well. She left Bethlehem with a family, with a husband and two sons. She returns having lost all of them. She returns home to a very uncertain future. Can you imagine how she felt when she walked back into Bethlehem? Can you imagine how she felt when she heard those whispers, people saying, wow, is is that Naomi? And it's here that we have one more significant name mentioned. Naomi says that she's changing her name. Don't call me Naomi. Don't call me Pleasant. Call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. 
Again, if you had to pick the one word that's going to sum up what this book of Ruth is about, I want to say that it's kindness. Naomi feels that God's hand is against her, but I'm not sure she's seeing the whole picture here. Sure, things have been hard, and I don't want to be insensitive to the tough times that she's been through, but there has been incredible kindness from God right the way through this story. The fact that he's given them safe passage to Moab and back, the fact that he's relieved the famine in Bethlehem, she knows that that's the Lord who's done that. But above all, God has provided her with Ruth, a daughter-in-law who is completely devoted to her. She may have lost her sons, but at the end of the book of Ruth, it says that Ruth is better to Naomi than seven sons. When Naomi comes home, I think she's making the wrong assessment of things. She walks back into Bethlehem, Ruth standing by her side, and then she announces this, verse 20, don't call me pleasant, call me bitter, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. I always feel like the next verse there should read, and then Ruth replied, excuse me, I'm standing right here. In the midst of hardship, Naomi fails to see God's extraordinary kindness to her. And she should recognise it as God's kindness. If she wants God to take the blame for all of the hardships, then she's got to let God take the credit for all of the good things that have happened as well. But she can't see it that way. Not yet, anyway. But I want to say that a passage like this should be a pretty good reminder to us as well, shouldn't it? A a gentle reminder about how we should view the hardships that we face in our lives. There's another story in the Old Testament where someone faces devastation in their family and terrible events. It's the book of Job. And in Job, how does he respond? There are two episodes where devastating things happen and his family are wiped out. How does he respond? First time he says this, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Now I've a Presbyterian minister who was working up in the Weewar area, in the cotton area up there and uh, cotton was just about to be harvested when a thunderstorm came through and that just completely destroys the cotton. You just have to plough it back into the ground. There's nothing that you can do. And they were standing in the shed and the owner of the farm was a Christian guy but the leading hand on the farm wasn't. And they're standing there watching the rain pouring down and destroying that year's crops, that year's income. And the leading hand came over to the boss and said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away and then spat on the ground. It was all quiet. And the boss said, finish it. He said, finish what? He said, finish the verse. He said, I didn't know there was any more. And he said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Following the second round of devastation, how does he respond? He replies to his wife who suggests that he ought to just kill himself and get it over with. 
He replies by saying, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Job and Naomi both have something in common. They both know that the things in this world don't happen by chance. They both know that things don't happen by accident. They know that there is a God who stands behind all of the affairs in this world, not just the big things, but all things. We may not always be able to see why things happen. We may not always be able to understand why we go through the things that we go through. But we know that God knows. And I think that's the first lesson that we've got to get from the book of Ruth. The lesson we have to learn is, make sure that you don't become bitter when you have to face those difficult times. The Christian life is not about trusting God when things are great and then being bitter when they're not. The Christian life is about trusting and knowing that God God has things under control, especially when things are tough. Life is going to offer us those hardships. We're going to face those times when we'll be tempted to become bitter, to feel that God has let us down, that he's disappointed us or he's forgotten us. When do you think those times are most likely to come for you? Is it work, where things don't seem to go the way that you want them to go? Is it at home, when there are those strained relationships? Is it with family, when the burden all falls on you and no one else seems to be stepping in to help? Is it your own health issues that can make you feel bitter? Maybe you feel bitter about your financial circumstances. See, the next time that you're tempted to feel that way, make sure you remember the big picture, the whole picture. Make sure that you remember that God has shown incredible kindness to you. Make sure that you remember the faithfulness that God has shown to you every step of the way and was probably unnoticed by you. We have a God who has shown incredible kindness to us in his son, Jesus. Through Jesus, we know God, we experience God's complete forgiveness, and we have the gift of eternal life. And Jesus promises that he will be with us always. And God promises that nothing can separate us from his love. Those words from Ruth in verse 16 about your God being my God are pretty powerful words. But in the book of Romans, Paul gives us these words about God sticking with us. Let me close with this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord.